Welcome to the Design Talk podcast. I'm Alan Higgins. In this episode, Angela Casito and I talk with John Sheehan, Strategic Global Vendor Director at Microsoft's Operations Division. John is responsible for global business process outsourcing vendor management. Welcome to the Design Talk podcast. Thanks so much. You're speaking to the Digital Innovation course at Microsoft. Thanks so much uh, for having me. I'm delighted to, to, to support the up and rising stars in UCD. Um, so it's always hugely important that, you know, education meets experience meets real life, right? So my role, I suppose, breaks down into four pillars. I spend a lot of time on supplier capability analysis, supplier strategies, um, and I'm evaluating them on an ongoing basis. I do a lot of contract services. That mainly means discussing contract design and negotiations, protecting Microsoft, offering high levels of flexibility. We need to make sure that the vendors are all performing and we do a lot of kind of relationship management and and performance engagement. And then we have kind of, you know, that supplier relationship management around finance, end-to-end responsibility and stewardship. And, you know, they're the main four pillars that I'm involved in kind of kind of my role kind of breaks down into for sorry just just I suppose three things I just want to mention MBO means Microsoft Business Operations Global BPO is Global Business Process um, Operations and some people call it outsourcing and then the specific team that I work in is called the Strategic Sourcing and Contract Team uh, yeah. another acronym I will use a lot even though I, I won't want to use it a lot is what's called BOB it's Book of Business I'll call it B-O-B or Bob or something of that nature. But anyway, so are you okay then if I just kind of give you a quick snapshot of a standard day? Would that be useful? That would be very useful. Based on the four pillars I just discussed, I suppose a a day, I I, I spent a bit of time over the weekend thinking about this. So an average day for me is, so in the morning, because we're based in Dublin, strategically placed globally. So so never underestimate the, the, the location of Dublin to be in the middle of the world, right? At the center of the world, right? So in the mornings, for example, my, my, my mornings could be spent talking to a vendor in APAC on pricing. And I deliberately bring up pricing because, because I, I want to share a little bit around pricing strategy, right? And it's, it's hugely important. There's a few tips that I would give you around pricing strategy, right? So I'd be discussing this with the vendor and, um, so our pricing strategy would fit into what's called our global vendor strategy. And what that means in English is, can the price be benchmarked? So in other words, can you price the, the work so that it's benchmarkable, there's such a word, across several vendors? Okay. The next thing that we, we, that's hugely important to us is the whole area around what does the price cover? And this is hugely important. It's the whole area of, what's in scope and what's out of scope, okay? And what I mean by that is, so for example, one of the things that I always look for is, okay, just say, just say we're outsourcing an inside sales book of business. Um, one of the things that I look for is I look for the price of the sales agent plus the sales management, the technical resources that support the, the, the sales agent, the the training resource, the readiness resource, the ramping manager, the project manager, every single resource that goes into 
that making making that person that sales agent on that book of business successful needs to be included in the pricing the beauty about that as well is that if we need to ramp up and ramp down the business we know exactly what it's going to cost us and that's what's called pricing continuity right so in other words pricing continuity um right so 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 from time to time we get budget increases and i'll discuss that in a few minutes so it's important that we increase velocity by not slowing down the business because of having a pricing strategy in place so i'll pause there angela and the rest of the class um, and just say so so if there's questions number one and number two is are those answers are the right pitch for the class Okay, you, you emphasize a lot about pricing and pricing strategy and price cover and in scope. Is price one of the key factors in choosing a vendor? So in, in my view, no, as amazing as that may sound, right? It's, for me, it's all about capability. My experience has, has shown... Now, we, we're, I, I, equally, I'm not going to pay top dollar, Right. Um, but equally, if I'm to prioritize what I want from a vendor, it's all about capability. In fact, some people I think in Microsoft call me John Capability Sheehan, <laughs> right? But um, so I, for, for me, it's hugely important. That, that whole area around capability is hugely important. Next is the, mm-hmm. so that capability is huge. The next item then is price. Um, okay. and, and, and there's a variety of other items as well. You know, ultimately, uh, you know, sometimes what you need to focus on is how many vendors can actually do this at the global scale we need it. And, you know, one one of the things that we look for in our vendors, I was saying to the team, uh, is what we call E360. Right. So E360 in Microsoft means we have vendors that are both our partners, number one, that do the work. Number two, they, they use our products. They're users of our products. And number three, in an ideal world, they're seller of our products. It's called, in Microsoft, we call it E360. And in my role specifically, I'm looking for, you know, global, tier one, high-performing, high-capability vendors. Yeah, it's quite interesting that you talk about uh, vendors' uh, capability as one of the top reasons why you choose a vendor but oftentimes engineering teams and other developers inside the company can say that outsourcing services oftentimes reduces the quality of what is being what is on offer how do you balance that how do you you know monitor or you know what metrics do you use okay so 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 um i so, so just to give you some history here right so a number of years yes. back, um, Microsoft ran, you know, what, what I would call resource augmentation. So resource augmentation was almost like what you had was a person that was a full-time Microsoft person, and then you had a contractor mm-hmm. pretty much doing the same work, right? Uh, but obviously getting kind of, you know, their benefits would be different, okay? So... What, what, what's happened the last several years in, in the whole outsourcing industry is the whole area of moving to compliant managed services. So what this means is that we 
we expect the vendor to deliver the required outcomes. And might I add in brackets, with the minimum of Microsoft input. So to answer your question, what we find is we put fairly significant um, you know, SLAs around quality. So one of the SLAs are, are obviously kind of is about time, service level agreements. And then it's, it, we, we put in specific metrics around quality and expect mm-hmm. the vendor to hit those. And this is where, you know, this is where a lot of time and effort goes into reviewing the whole area of, you know, metrics, what's suitable. And like all of our metrics have two key components in Microsoft. They're smart. So so smart is kind of specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and time-bound. That's hugely important. The second part Mm -hmm. of the metric is that it's 100% controllable by the vendor. They're 100% controllable, 100% accountable, 100% responsible to deliver that metric. I like that you've mentioned SLAs. They say one of the best uh, for an SLA to be really effective, it has to be able to adapt to business needs and the market changes. How do you balance that to make sure that you're not putting a lot of pressure on the vendor and you're also getting the best value out of, you know, you're changing business needs. So, so ultimately, um, there's a couple of components to that. The, the first component is um, you, you need to review your targets on an ongoing basis. And, and, and that's just a fact of life. How do we, how do we keep things flexible? I, I think we just, from our perspective, we, we, we use a couple of inputs. We use inputs from likes of Gartner and Forrester and Everest which are kind of markets, trends in, in, in the wider environment. These are reports that you buy to see, you know, the current, current trends, future trends over the next five years, et cetera. And then you're trying to align future contracts along those lines, future SLAs along those lines. You know, I think at the moment, you know, um, COVID is after throwing up so many, um, so many interesting features it, that it's extraordinary, right? And, 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 and what I mean by that is that, you know, certain people, you know, across multiple industries, um, if, you, if you ask them in January 2020, could their vendors perform compliantly with security, with privacy, and with the required performance, you know, working from home, in a global book of business, a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, CEOs um, would have said, this cannot be done. Okay. Fast forward 12 months and it's happening. And, you know, it's so, so in other words, now, is life perfect? No. But like Alan was saying at the mm-hmm. top of the call around Microsoft Teams, things evolve really quickly. Right. And always remember you know, it's an old expression, but, but necessity is the mother of all invention, right? So in other words, that, you know, certain things had to happen, certain things did happen, and it's interesting that the vendors are performing perfectly fine for the most part uh, working from home, right? So, 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 so they're the, that, that's how we manage the trends, and COVID is a tremendous example of new trends that have emerged. Let's put it that way. 
I imagine before COVID, you were already working with offshoring teams and, you know, virtual teams. I'm interested in how you monitor the performance. What tools do you use to monitor the performance? So, so what we try and do is we, we onboard the vendors on Microsoft systems where the reporting is mm-hmm. highly secure, highly uh, mature and highly accurate. So, so, so from my perspective, that's how we monitor the vendors on, on our bigger books of businesses. Can I add in a question there? Sure. Uh, you've got, you're focusing on the codifiable transparent work rather than the sort of intangible kind of socially mediated work. Uh, is that right? Yeah, so 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 we would have books of businesses. So so we've a wide variety of books of businesses, as you'll appreciate, um, uh, in Microsoft. We've got the huge volumes of what I call technical support, um, you know, uh, across the company. You know, across we say Xbox, for example. Some of that is is outsourced, right? Um, then what you've got is you have customers then in other parts of the business. That, in other words, we're, ta- we're, we're, we're doing, in essence, lead generation to customers that may not be touched by Microsoft otherwise. And basically, so, 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 so basically, while we have what I call operational metrics, we have layers of metrics as well, uh, Alan. And one of the big metrics that, that I use personally, but it's, it can be considered a little bit dangerous, and I'll explain that in a moment, is ROI is return on investment. So certain books of businesses suit certain metrics. So for example, in a return on investment scenario, and I, I'm just going to make these numbers up, right? So for example, if we pay $50 million to vendors on a global program, my basic expectation is the revenue that they generate will be half a billion. It'll be 10x. As a basic, if we have a situation then around ROI where the, we, we need to kind of, you know, I, 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 like to, I like to head towards maybe somewhere between 12 and 15 ROI. But once you hit greater than 15x, you have a situation that you need to be careful that you're hitting an inflection point of what, what I would call quality versus cost. And it's very important so ROI in that case, just to ju- be more specific, if we're paying 50 million for our vendors, we expect them to drive 10x revenue, you know, cloud revenue or renewal revenue, whatever it is, right? So, 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 so it's literally the numerator is the revenue and the cost of the vendor is the, is the denominator, right? So um, if you have a situation that the ROI gets too high, there's a danger that the, the vendor is potentially not making enough money, even though they're being tremendously successful both for themselves and for, for you, you do need to be what I would call um, take a step back for a moment and review if the ROI is getting too high because sometimes that might mean that the program needs increased investment in key areas. I'm, I'm relating it back to the notion of a compliant managed solution with a minimum of Microsoft input. And that strikes me that... Um, where the uh, activities are highly codifiable, relatively transparent. The met- you've got nice metrics for that work and, and you've got this sort of uh, expectation of a 10x ROI th- that there's a sweet spot actually. And when Correct. it goes too high, too low, then we're talking about slightly different arrangements. 
and and just so you just have to remind me like i would be if i would be um uh, uh, uh philosophically i would come from the marks and spencers uh, and how they handle their vendors because of their food tastes so fantastic so marks and spencers for those people across the globe is a wonderful uk owned chain that that's in a variety of of verticals you know clothing and food and and uh, as such um and homeware but their food vendors, they spend so long bringing them up to get the taste right, maybe 9, 10, 12 months. One of the key things they always look at is that the vendor is making enough money. And I would share that philosophy because sometimes it can take 12 months, 18 months for a vendor to ramp properly and really get to that sweet spot, um, like Alan was calling out. And you don't want to lose that. That's Because there's a, that 18 months, there's a massive investment of effort, of time, of coaching, of learnings, of continuous improvement that have gone into that picture. We have a few comments from the class. Uh, Jack is asking, for a company as large and financially significant as Microsoft, is there diminishing returns for capabilities in outsourcing versus in-housing? Okay, okay. Um, so, So the short answer is yes. But I suppose, I, I, okay, so, 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 so let's, as, as, as the expression goes, let's, let's view what you should be doing as a company, right? So I think, you, you know, the whole area of um, Hamel and Prahad, you know, going back to many years ago, maybe 25, 30 years ago at this stage is core competencies. You know, that paper on sticking, you know, from a strategic perspective about businesses sticking to their core competencies, right? So, so, so I think that's hugely important. The first part of it is that Microsoft sticks to what it's good at, right? And then outsources pretty much everything else. So that's, so, so that's the first thing. There's, there's two other things. The first thing is the whole area of what we can price certain work in certain parts of the world for Microsoft. It wouldn't justify Microsoft having a full-time Microsoft person doing that work. The third thing then is some of the work we outsource in the short term, we work really hard at automating that in the medium term. So in other words, that the jobs actually go away. Just say we, we, we've, we, we hire 500 people to help out with an incentives program, for example. And then over a period of time, um, partners can start doing this online themselves because the systems are set up properly online. So that 500 jobs over maybe a three to five year period disappears because it's now automated. So it's a tricky one. It depends on the book of business because for the most part, we outsource the simple. We we try not to outsource the complex. We outsource Mm -hmm. the repeatable, not the exceptions. We outsource the, the, the predictable. We, 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 we outsource the mature. We out, all those words that are kind of, you know, um, you know it's kind of simple, predictable, repeatable, requiring very little change in, in yeah. certain books of businesses. Now, those are characteristics that, that I keep an eye on all the time because I'm I, just, just in the day in the life of Angela, in the last week, somebody asked me to, um, to onboard some new business. And they said to me, oh, yeah, we have 10 change requests a month. That's not a stable business, right? If you're changing that often, that's not ready to be outsourced, right? Um, 
would 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 be a very simple intake model characteristic that I would be measuring before I would even engage with the team. You don't outsource your trade secrets. Not not really. Um, I well, I I, I think sorry, what's a very good text I find maybe for you is what's called the Opbock. It's 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 like a kind of an industry standard. It's an outsourcing kind of processes kind of body of knowledge. It's called Opbock. Basically, what these these aren't trade secrets. This is just kind of what I call good management practice being put in place in the outsourcing and governance world. I I, I think I, I think sometimes so, sometimes this begins with strategies and philosophies, right? Even though every on the call today didn't come to a philosophy class, so sometimes you need to step back and kind of understand what are, what are your beliefs here. So, for example, I'm a huge believer in continuous improvement, incremental continuous improvement. And I expect my vendors to have the same philosophy. And what, what I find is I, I, I find that that works really well, that that's a starting place for some of our vendors to work from, because then the expectation is, I want you to improve. I want you to get better. Do you train your vendors? Yes. So, so what we do- Are so, you so, sure that it's a good investment? Okay. I'll answer that kind of a, a little bit cryptically. A person without information can avoid responsibility. A person with mm-hmm. information can't avoid responsibility. So, so always remember as well, philosophically, again, I'm talking about that philosophically world. If the vendor is successful, Microsoft are successful. So if you choose not to train the vendor, you're actually just, you're, you're impacting your own ability to succeed. You, you, remember earlier, I was talking about that 18 months ramp time on certain books of businesses to really drive high performance. You know, the faster you ramp, the faster you get to that point. And ramping, a key thing of ramping is yeah. tools, systems, techniques. Um, you know, if you, if you talk about sales, you know, you talk about kind of, you know, objection handling, you talk about really good skills around, you know, selling cloud versus on-premise. Then you switch over maybe to services. You know, how can you actually sell some services to make sure in the current environment that, you know, your systems are still running, you know, et cetera, et cetera, right? So you, you, if, you, if, if you don't train your vendors, I would argue that you have very little hope of high performance. Can I add in a, with your compliant managed solutions, um, which your goal, with your goal of a minimum of Microsoft management input on a day-to-day basis, as a operations person, um, you still have an input, don't you? And you, you still keep your finger on the pulse. There's still that sort of human contact between Microsoft and their vendors. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Like from a governance perspective, there's a deliberate org structure outlined in the contract. There's a deliberate roles and responsibilities of each member. There's a deliberate meeting cadence and schedule. There's a deliberate report schedule. So it's, and they'd be standard in all our contracts right? All the contexts that I have written, there's a whole section on governance that is, is almost identical. Obviously, the reporting okay. is different, right? But, but in real terms, it, it, it's very predictable, Alan. It's, you know, we don't micromanage them, but we have high expectations of, 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 of what's expected. Does Microsoft have on-site engagement managers? No, they're non-compliant. <laughs> okay. All right, that's, uh, and, that's and, and I would argue, I would argue back to the capabilities for a second. 
if you need an mm-hmm. on-site manager, right, what, what, what exactly is the vendor bringing to the party? But that isn't to say you wouldn't have, uh, would you have uh, on-site visits, for example? Would you? Oh, so, so you're just after touching on, on, on so, so one of the areas that, that, that as a prep that Angela and the Jack and the team and, and Young and Payne that, that discussed on Friday uh, was the whole area of kind of effective practices for governing offshore. And, and one of the key okay. things is lots of visits, right? So that's mm. pre-COVID. <laughs> so now what you have to do is you you, so you need to have so let's step back for a second right so um back to the continuous improvement philosophy so previously in a previous life i i i I was involved in making medical devices and obviously when the fda auditors came they would the two most frightening words that they would ever say to me was show me so if you're on the receiving end, anybody on the, on the call that has been on the receiving end of, you know, an audit of some sort and the auditor says, show me, right? Um, you know, whatever, whatever that is, right? It's, it, they're, they're two frightening words. So with COVID, one of the big two words I've trained a lot of the, my team and the wider Microsoft team is the whole area of show me. So show me the report, show me this, right? And, and then lots of visits like we were saying earlier but now in this current state what we do is we do a couple of things uh, i've pushed out a new program around virtual process compliance audits it's a it's a bit of a mouthful but it's it's founded in iso 9000 the latest revision being 2015 right and the the, the kind of the net net of it is that you what you're looking for is a quality standard. I'm just using ISO 9000 as a sample, right? It can be any standard you want, right? But what's huge, hugely important, and, and I would be a fan of ISO 9000 quite simply because of the whole area of continuous improvement, management responsibility, and standardization. And if you're a global vendor, the standardization one in particular is hugely important. So, so, for example, if you had Angela Enterprises in APAC and Angela Enterprises in, in, in North America, and if the North America Angela Enterprises were 20% higher performance than Angela in APAC, what's the problem? And in the recent past, my experience has been lack of standardization of practices, lack of sharing of good practices, lack of systems in place to share those good practices. Right. So, for example, you know, um, for example, a team huddle. So a team huddle, for example, in one of the books of businesses, you'd say a team huddle. Should they just have a chat? But the team huddle in a local environment is hugely important for saying, well, how do you close that deal, Alan? How do you close that deal, Penn? How do you close that deal, Young? Mm-hmm. And next thing at the local level, right, salespeople, for example, in an outsourced book of business that sales are highly competitive people. So they want to get the next win, right? Um, for example, they might have a bell on the, on, the, on the floor, on the sales floor, right? That every time you earn over 20,000 deal, somebody walks up and rings the bell, right? So, so it's a natural competition, right? So that's locally. But imagine now if you put a system in place that those huddles can be shared in EMEA, can be shared in North America, and get that standard out there and increase everybody's standard. 
right? So now all of a sudden, you know, so, so all of a sudden, you know, effective practices of governing kind of offshore and, out, and outsourcing projects becomes a really good practice from the vendor. Hilariously, in the last month, um, uh, uh, a vendor, we had a tough start with a vendor. I won't mention any names. And, you know, I was quite robust, which, you know, is you, 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 you can see how that happens, right? But what I'm saying to you is that, uh, we'll say 18 months ago, they thought I was too demanding. And next thing, I, I said, I want you to standardize your practices. And they put in ISO 9000. And a month ago, they thanked me for it because their, their overall performance across all their sites has improved. Okay, we have a question from Food and from the audience. She's wondering, um, wouldn't standardization across geolocations create a best practice war between vendors? Yes. Could you harness that and share it rather than keep it you know, hidden and, and top secret? The former. So yes, the short answer is we so we so Microsoft then becomes the go-between. We become the center of this of, of the wheel of what's called the virtual cycle. A virtual cycle of success around sharing, right? And and we do that on an ongoing basis. So 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 what's interesting here, guys, right, is that while we're talking about governance and outsourcing, Microsoft have a significant responsibility as well to enable that. Basically, Microsoft has um, has 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 huge responsibility as well to support that. So so from my perspective, um, to Alan's point, we support that dynamic in relation to shared best practice sharing. And mm-hmm. one one of the things over the next couple of years that that I might be focused on is trying to get the champion challenger model in place in certain regions where you flex up and flex down depending on which vendor. It, it's just a thought at the moment, but strategically over the next three, three years, two to three years, I need to find a structure where, and a contract structure where we can flex up and flex down who is the best in a region and give them slightly more business, right? And, and it's just a thought at the moment, but I need to probably, um, you know, kind of work on that over the next couple of years. And, and it's unlikely that you're going to uh, allow that to be a triangular relationship between different vendors with Microsoft at one point because getting your vendors to talk to each other might not be as um, corporate uh, governance, from a corporate governance perspective, might be subject to all kinds of weird... You need to be super careful there. That's, uh, that's, uh, that's literally the proverbial minefield, Alan. Uh, John, can you kindly share with us any opportunities in the industry? So a pathway to hiring for some uh, people is that they join a vendor for starters, work on a, on a book of business, and really get to know that book of business. And if they become kind of almost a subject matter expert for that book of business, from time to time, Microsoft would hire that person. That pathway is another significant alternative to join a vendor that's doing some work for Microsoft, right? And but but there 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 are there this is somewhere now that you probably need to do a lot of research in each of your respective um, uh, locations. You 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 need to see who are the significant players because some of the some of the outsourcing partners we work with are massive companies in their own right. They have revenues per annum of several billion dollars. So 
each of you needs to understand who are the players in your region or if you want to move that's fine and then that would be a pathway join those, those people maybe as a um a, you know as a team leader or as an engineer or as a you know as a program manager or a project manager what, what, whatever whatever your skill set requires and then you know get really up to speed on the program understand the program you know deliver you know high performance any you know any any book of business that's that's performing well is is a very positive thing you know if there's roles come up in microsoft or whoever the vendor or whoever the customer is that's another pathway for you guys and sometimes it's easier to join a vendor sometimes the contracts can be a bit shorter but you but you're getting vital experience in the area you want to focus on thank you very much for sharing that um before we close off as i believe there are no questions from the audience would you uh, kindly share with us any risks that you have faced so and how you have managed the risk so sometimes i'm talking about i'm spending a lot of my days at the moment talking about you know 2022 2023 2024 okay for example i suppose one of the biggest risk is that the vendors that i recommend you know have the capabilities to deliver right and you what 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 i've done recently and it's very positive is i do reference checks to kind of kind of mitigate that risk okay the next one then is a lot of vendors in this particular in 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 outsourcing at the moment one of the key trends is um you know in the next 5 years 50% of all the vendors will either be acquired or will go out of business so one of my concerns for example is m&a mergers and acquisitions because you know sometimes what you have is you have fantastic global niche player that's really high performing really successful really fantastic really good to go business you know a uh, really positive success for microsoft next thing they get acquired by this big you know big kind of conglomerate and get yeah. subsumed right mm-hmm. and then you, you you lose the flexibility you lose and 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 a very simple thing at the moment for example i would talk maybe to the owner of that business directly so i can talk pricing i can talk direction i can talk future business i can talk right sometimes you might lose that you lose the flexibility the pricing might go up because you have to pay for this big conglomerate on top you know another seven or eight points margin uh, on top to pay for this this thing right that manages this right so 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 m&a are always a risk of mine so i always keep an eye out for those i suppose the big thing i do to mitigate that is have a second vendor in high second high performing vendor in place right mm-hmm. and this talks to the champion challenger thing that i kind of kind of think about uh, over the last kind of 6 months and then ultimately then i suppose the other risk that we always need to kind of keep an eye on is you know re- is bcp business continuity planning so for example i had a mail and the, the opening title to the mail was written um between the storms season approaching in central america and typhoon season <laughs> developing in the philippines and in in the pacific um what what are the i had about seven questions after that in the in the mail so i i got that mail one one morning about maybe a, a, two, two or three months ago so okay. so every vendor has to have their own docs in a row they need to have be organized they need to be a plans in place mm-hmm. the plans need to be tested it's like a fire drill we all hope it'll never happen mm. but when that when when that when that lever is pulled it needs to happen it needs to happen well 
performance does need to dip, you know, um, operational time, you know, that key time when from first contact to that, that downtime period needs to be as minimum as possible. And I'm talking single digit hours. I'm not talking any longer. Right. Um, and a lot of our plans and, and the contracts that I write would expect that. And in principle, I would expect any vendor that's saying they have the capabilities on a multi-site basis, I'd expect them to, to deliver that sort of performance. It's hugely important in the context of hurricane season in the, you know, different parts of the world, you know, winter season, typhoon season, flooding season, rainy season, you know, so, and, and these are some of the items that you need to understand from a location selection perspective as well. But ultimately we need, the vendors have chosen to go there. They've chosen, they're telling us they have the capabilities we test those capabilities and then they need to manage it from there and, and we expect them to manage it and manage it at high performance. Ultimately, BCP is always an issue, but, we, but we're in the middle of COVID. So, you know, we've done well to get this far. So you, you, you try your best to kind of mitigate all risks, but they'd be kind of the main ones. Okay, thank you very much for sharing that. We have one last question from, um, sure. one more question from the audience. Have you had to close and walk away from a vendor mid-project? And if so, how do you know when to do so? So the short answer is yes. So I, I come from a, a, a kind of, an, a, kind of a, a background, three strikes and you're out. So, so, so and I'm, not talk, I'm, I'm talking about three strikes in the context of what I would call a significant major non-conformance. So, so for example, um, if, for example, you have a vendor uh, that is not performing. So everybody has a bad month, right? That's one data point. Then if it's two months, you know, sometimes there's, there's what's called the bleeding effect. It bleeds into two months. But then if you have three months, that's three data points. And all of a sudden that's three, 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 three data points. And unfortunately with three data points, that's what's called the trend, right? So during that time, what I, what I do is I'd be having what I call fairly significant conversations that this needs to improve. And what we, what, what we might need to do is go into what's called a war room scenario, where we micromanage the vendor for a two-week period to understand exactly what's happening with the numbers, with the teams, et cetera, et cetera, right? And it can be a variety of things. Mm -hmm. It can be leadership. It can be the level and skill level of the people hired. It can be weak sales managers. It can be poor training. It can be poor processes, poor documentation. It, it can be a variety of things. And it's only sometimes that you go into a war room situation for a fixed amount of time that you actually go into the space. So okay. then, so, so if they're continuously not improving, then what you need to do is you need to, to, to my earlier point around risk mitigation, have another vendor in the background that can take over this. And then you make, need to make a decision yes. around budgets, et cetera, et cetera, to ramp one immediately right? And back to the three strikes you're out, you know, they kind of get a warning after maybe two months that this needs to improve, another warning on three months, and after four months of poor performance and, and, and no sign of recovery, right? You know, okay. if, if, if there's no sign of recovery, or, or equally, you, you know, if, if it shows that the business is too complex to outsource, that's also good learning from Microsoft, right? It's just a step too far, mm. you know, et cetera, et cetera. And all of those things will be reviewed. So I, I brought in kind of what I call gates around the complexity factor so if it's too complex to go out we need to find that out at the moment and sometimes what I do is I would audit the business myself before it goes out right 
which I think some of the business thinks absolutely is nuts, right? But like I'm 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 an engineer and I have some commercial background, which makes me kind of kind of kind of who I am. So I can I I'm I'm able to kind of do those checks. And then after month four, month five, they're still not improving. You know, the other vendor we need to start ramping quickly, then ramp down the other the ramp down vendor one and ramp up vendor two. And we just need to get it done. Uh, I think that answers the question elaborately. And maybe if you'd like to say anything else. Yeah. So in, in, in my role, um, you know, all skill sets will do well. And so mm. everybody on the call, you have skills. All of you have skills. And don't be afraid of learning new stuff because all of us over the next 10, 15, 20 years will have a number of careers. This is a really good career because it gives you kind of commercial focus, gives you kind of process focus, it gives you documentation focus, quality focus, brings judgment skills, really good communication skills. So this is a really good area and I wish you all kind of the very best look. All right. Thank you so much, John. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. Follow Design Talk and discover more content like this. The music used was performed and recorded by Ivan Sipek and used with his permission. Mm-hmm.